Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. We're talking about the uncensored realities of adversity that Paul faced, knowing When he was going back to Jerusalem, knowing what he was going to be facing, and he says this in Acts 20. Here's our scripture. We've looked at it every week in verse 19. He says that he's serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And now behold, this is what he tells the believers from Ephesus. He says, I'm going bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are waiting for me, that will befall me there. Notice what he says in the next verse. One thing I do know is the Holy Ghost is witnessing in every city saying that bonds, chains, shackles, locked prison doors, solitary confinement, afflictions, getting slapped around by the guards, getting cussed on, cussed at, spit on, not having food or water, not having a bathroom, not having any toiletries, no room service, nobody buying your best-selling Christian book, Nobody caring about the name of Jesus. That's what's waiting on me. And he goes anyway, right? He doesn't, he doesn't hold back. He just tells it like it is. This is the adversity that I may face. And we've kind of been pretty honest over the last few weeks, haven't we? We've just, we've just basically said, hey, we're not going to act like it being 2021 that 2020 didn't happen. And we're not going to act like what happened in 2020 isn't afraid to happen again in 2021. Reality is this, that we all may face some form of adversity this year or this week or in this life. So let's recap because we took verse 24 and we just unpacked a few things that were absolute in a world of uncensored uncertainty. Verse 24, let's look at it together. Paul said, none of these things move me. Remember week one, none of these things are going to change me. This is not going to change me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. This is not all about me. Last week we talked about this. Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. And we resolve that this adversity, it is not the end for me. So let's look together at week four today. Let's wrap this up. Paul said, and, and look, there's a continuation of the thought. He says, I want to finish my course. And so that I might finish, look at this, the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul not only wants to finish what God has started with him in his individual journey, he also wants to finish the entirety of the mission that God ordained for the church as a whole. Now, you and I need to understand something. You know where we go to Sunday school? We weren't here early enough for it, but we'll have it anyway. Listen to this. God used Paul in a very particular and unique way that he did not use many of the prophets and apostles of the church. He actually used Paul to reveal the mystery of the church body. That that was a foreign alien thing to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the Jews. That that didn't make any sense that there would be this thing called a church that God would use through Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit and bring Jew and Gentile into one body. See, it was was hidden and it was veiled to the religious leaders. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, how that by revelation, look, God made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Notice this, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto us his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. When you read the Old Testament, you need to understand those Jewish readers and those Jewish writers, they were veiled to this mystery of the church. That's why when you see things in the New Testament about the church, it looks different. It's in a different perspective and a different light than when you read Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, because the the veil has been removed, and much of that through the Apostle Paul. He was linking the Great Commission. Remember one of the last things Jesus said? Go. Yes. 
He said, go. He didn't say go to church. He said, go to the world. Right? right? Somebody talk to me now. It's, I know it's early and it's raining outside, but we're in here to get with God, all right? He took the word go and he linked it to the vehicle of the church body. Yes, sir. And he lived his life on a specific mission for God concerning the church and global evangelism. And listen to this. He remained very adamant throughout the years on his journey that nothing in the world he would face would ever stop the mission of the church. Yeah. He, he resolved and he decided and he was determined nothing would stop the mission. Can I go ahead and take a pause and a testimony break and say this? Let's be clear. Nothing should ever stop the mission of the church. Amen. Right. Nothing. There, there is no political climate. Right. There should never be a law passed. Right. There, there should never be a popular opinion or a popular vote. Right. It doesn't matter if nobody shows up next week. Yes. Nothing should ever stop the mission of the church. Let's make that a little more personal. Nothing should ever stop the mission of New Grace. That's right. I need some folk here that call this home to help me right there. Amen. Nothing should ever stop the mission. So here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. We're going to take what we've preached the last couple of weeks and we're just going to continue the conversation. And we are going to resolve that nothing individually or collectively ever stops the mission God started in this church. I wasn't there in the theater when y'all were setting up and taking down. I'm not an OGNG. Listen to me. That, I don't care if you just got here last week or this is your first time today. I want to tell you something. This church was birthed by the Spirit of God on purpose with a purpose. We exist so people experience new life in Christ. We did not start this church to reach, to reach rich people or poor people, white people or black people. My Bible tells me that it's a whoso ever will gospel. I don't care what side of the tracks you're from. I don't care what kind of background you got. I don't care where your granddaddy goes to church. I don't care how much Bible you know or how much Bible you don't know. I feel like preaching up in this room. I want to tell you we exist so everybody has a shot at Jesus. Somebody help me give him praise. Now, we, we would be a bunch of clapping fools to think that Satan wasn't customizing adversity for our church. That's right. That's right. I mean, we've already been through our, our own waves of adversity in the last few years. And we weathered some of those storms and waves. But the reality is this. We are in another year, and individually, you're going to face it, and collectively, we're going to face it because our enemy is designing adversity to stop the mission. So we need to look our adversity in the face yes. while in the face of adversity yes. and declare this yes. is not going to stop yes. the mission. Somebody give him praise in the house. So let's unpack the conversation. And let's unpack the conversation by just asking some pressing pointed questions. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to ask a question and then use the text to answer that question so that everybody leaves here today with a resolution in their mind that this adversity is not going to stop what Jesus has started with new grace. Pastor Jake, give us question number one. All right, so the first question we need to probably ask ourselves when we look at this verse again, he said, nothing is going to stop the mission, right? Which is what? What is what exactly is the mission? He said the ministry. Everybody say those words. The ministry. Everybody say that one more time. The ministry. So what exactly is the ministry? Because we love to throw that word out and just use that word however we want, you know. We love to say, oh, it's the ministry, it's the ministry, it's the ministry. Well, what exactly is the ministry? Well, let me first start off by saying this um, uncensored reality, okay? The ministry is not something that is reserved for people with ordination papers hanging in their office. The ministry, the ministry, <laughs> the ministry is not church work. Let's, let's, let's throw that out there. It's not reserved uh, for people who went to seminary. 
It's not, it's not just reserved for people who went to seminary. Ministry is not something that's just for an elite special group of people. Uh, ministry is not getting a crowd together in a room. Ministry is not, you know, a tax write-off. <laughs> Whoops. Ministry, look, mi- ministry Ministry is not climbing the social ladder in your community and saying, look at what we did. Ministry is not trying to build a crowd up or get applause. Or Listen, ministry is not going to church. Ministry is not working at a church. So before we talk about the ministry, let's talk about what the ministry is not. And let me just go ahead and drop this on you today. You are in the ministry. You are in the ministry. In fact, look at somebody next to you and just tell them, you are in the ministry. Go ahead and do it. You are in the ministry. Because Paul understood when he talked to the church that every single believer was a part of the ministry. You've got a ministry. When you were born again, God gave you a ministry. You've got a ministry. You've got a ministry. It's like Oprah in here. You get a ministry. You get a ministry. You get a ministry. Everybody gets a ministry. You've got one. Because look, when, when we define ministry, we have to understand it's not about titles. It's not about positions that are held. What is ministry? Ministry, when Paul uses that word ministry, what does he mean? Because we, we read it and we automatically think of something, right? We think of a guy in a robe or we think of a, a, a paid pastor making hospital visits. Or, or, or we think about a, you know, somebody calling you on the phone, just checking on you when you're going to come back to church, right? That's what we think of sometimes when we think ministry. But when Paul said the ministry, he meant this, people serving people. People serving people. Because you cannot have ministry without people. And the word ministry just means serving serving. There's something supernatural that takes place. Don't miss this. There is something supernatural about people serving other people. It's not just a, it's not just a natural thing. Your natural inclination is not to serve somebody else. We say, well, they have a servant's heart. Well, <laughs> we're just trying to say that they have a hard time saying no, so we take advantage of them, right? <laughs> right? Uncensored, I guess, yeah. So it's, 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 it's serving, and serving is something supernatural that takes place. When one person takes on the character of Christ and abases themselves for the benefit of another. I'm going to say it again. It's something supernatural that takes place when one person takes on the character of Christ because serving is the most Christ-like thing we can do. Abasing yourself, taking on the character of Christ, abasing yourself and saying, you're first. You're first. That is what he meant when he said ministry. It requires, serving requires us to stop being self-centered long enough and self-involved long enough to get involved in someone else. We have to stop being self-involved long enough and only looking out for, number one, long enough to ask ourselves, what can I do to serve somebody else? Because here's the thing. If it doesn't revolve around people serving people, it's not ministry. People serving people. People being willing to be like Christ for the benefit and on behalf of somebody else. And listen, when that happens, people end up realizing that they need people. That's all right to praise him right there. People start realizing that people need people. Can I, can I share something with you this morning? You need people. I don't need nobody. Got my stuff together. But I thought ministry was about people. And I thought you were in the ministry. I thought we were in the ministry. So if we're in the ministry, that means that we need people. You have never not needed somebody else. We love to think that we don't need other people and we like to live on an island and burn every bridge that it takes to get to it. And isolate, you know, that's what COVID-19 did more than anything is it isolated people from other people. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't have or should have. All I'm saying is this, it did. And with isolation comes no ministry because ministry is people connecting and people serving other people. And you need people. And guess what? They need you. People need you. And you can sit in a room like this Sunday after Sunday and think that you are insignificant. You can sit in a room like this and you can go to work. You can do your job. You can do your thing. You can raise your family, make your money, go to the places you go, go out to eat, and make the mistake of thinking that because you aren't in the ministry and you don't have a ministry, you make the mistake of thinking that nobody needs you. Nobody's going to miss me when I'm gone. There's no Nobody I'm impacting. There's nobody that I'm influencing. Nobody needs me. Can I remind you that there are people all over this community that need what you have? There are people that need to hear your story. There are people that need to know what Jesus did for you. I wish I had somebody to help me up in this room. There are people that need to hear what you know. You've got the answer to every question they'll ever ask in Jesus. You've got the solution to every problem they'll ever face in Jesus. People need you, and people need this. I need somebody to go to church with me this morning if you believe it. The people you walk by. People you walk by at church and don't acknowledge. I ain't never seen them before. Who's that? Yeah, they needed you. The dude on the other side of the gas pump, and you're sitting there, and God's like, hey, I wonder if he goes to church anywhere. Hey, I wonder if he knows me. And you're like, I'm just pumping my gas. Got my mask on. Don't want to freak anybody out. He needs you. People you work with need you. The girl with needle tracks in her arm down the road needs you. The guy who's hooked on a substance that controls every aspect of his life needs you, and he needs to hear your story of deliverance. The folks you work with and those people up under you, under you on the ladder of success at work that you don't need, guess what? You need them, and they need you because people is the reason ministry exists. We all need somebody. Everybody needs somebody. And when you start to try to isolate yourself, you miss out on ministry opportunity. Look, my wife Courtney and I have been serving in ministry. Uh, We served full-time together at a church for years, almost 10 years. And being in the work of the ministry, people needing people, serving people, sometimes stuff don't go all perfect, right? Right? And there was, there was times in our life where we would be serving in ministry full time. And if it was a church function, great. You know, if it was a Sunday school outing, great. We'll, we'll do it. We'll be there. But if, if, it was, if it was people time, hey, you, you stay away. Because people, people can hurt you. People can do you wrong. People can stab you in the back. People can talk about you. People can, and over time what happened was, we were in the ministry without being in the ministry. Because we were trying to, even after, even after, can I tell a secret? Even after we moved here, there was still some of that. Hey, I love you, but stay over there. Hesitation, that's exactly right. Thank you, babe. There was some hesitation there. People say, I love you all. We're so glad. Hey, okay, that's cool. You stay right there. You stay right there. And you know what God has done? He started to reveal Ministry is not about work. Ministry is not about what you do. Ministry is not about your position that you hold from place to place. Ministry is about people. You know, one of the most beautiful things that God has done for us is our small group. One of the most beautiful things that God has done. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like the fact we lead a small group. No, no, no. I'm saying we're in a small group, and it's been the most beautiful thing God's done for us over the last couple of years. Let me remind you, you need people. Small group's a great place to start. Plug. <laughs> because when you serve people, you connect in a way that God meant. God didn't mean for you to live on an island and die there. He meant for you to be a part of a thriving community of believers that are impacting the world with the gospel. You want to know why the mission can't stop? You know why this mission's not going to stop? Because it's people. 
And people need the mission. People need Jesus. People need to know that there's somebody in their corner. Don't fool yourself into thinking you don't need anybody. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're going to make it without them. Don't fool yourself into thinking they don't need you. I want to promise you this this morning. The mission ain't going to stop because the mission is people. That's what the ministry is. That's what the ministry is. Can we give him praise this morning? Pastor Jeff, take us a little further, bud. Good morning. So um, since we know what the mission is, where does it come from? Where does the mission come from? So let's start by establishing where it doesn't come from. It wasn't the Knights of the Round Table. It wasn't Excalibur. It wasn't the Nicene Council. Uh, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't King James and all his translators. It wasn't the, the Southern Baptist Conference or the Pentecostal Conference. We didn't get this at the Orange Conference last year, and the three of us didn't sit down three or four years ago and say, hey, it would be cool if we could do this. It doesn't come from there. That's not where it comes from. It, it tells us that it's received of the Lord Jesus. Like we didn't cook it up. It, he launched this into the atmosphere when he left us with his spirit. Now, if, now, now let, me, let me see if I can recall this real quick because... It seems to me that I remember there were a group of people that were gathered together in an upper room and something really special happened to those people in that upper room. And it said that there were, there, there, there were these, these cloven tongues of fire that fell upon them and it says that Peter got up on a day, I believe it was called Pentecost, and he preached the word of God and thousands of people were added to the church. And, and that wasn't just the first time and it wasn't the last time. Now here's what's interesting about this. This mission comes from him. He gave us this living breathing thing. This is not an organization. It's an organism. This thing is alive. Like if it was just an organization, we'd just have a board of directors and there'd be a bunch of corporate things going on. But like Pastor Jake said, this is people. It's breathing. It's alive. It's vibrant. But also because it's people, sometimes it's messy and it's hard and it's difficult because we all tend to kind of do what we want to do at times. But it doesn't change the fact that this mission comes from him. It's always been from him, it'll always be from him, and it'll always be for him. Like, if you're a self-serving person and you're doing this for your own purpose and fulfillment, you're missing it. You're totally missing out on the goodness of what God has for you. You see, when he gave us this living, breathing mission, we got to understand that it requires a few things from us. It requires investment. It does. Like, oh, there's the executive pastor about to start talking about money. It requires investment, but it does. It does require investment. Now, let me be very straight with you. It requires your time. Did you know that your time is the most valuable thing you possess? I don't care how much money you got in the bank. I don't care how big of a big shot you think you are. It does not matter. You're small in scope with God, okay? You're tiny. Your time is the most valuable thing you have. So when you're willing to give of your time, to kingdom work. That's the most valuable investment you can make because let me tell you something, friends. You don't know how much time you got. My Bible tells me that no one here is promised tomorrow. You can't make your heart beat. You can't make your lungs draw air. You ain't going to make the sun rise and you ain't going to make the moon come out tonight. You ain't going to do those things. Your time is the most valuable thing you have because you don't know how much you have and you willingly use it and give it away every single day. So what would happen if you got intentional about that investment of your time? Because it takes your time. It also takes your talent. Everybody in this room is good at something. You may not know what you're good at, but you're good at something. Everybody here is good at something. How do I use my talent for the kingdom of God? Figure out what you're good at and go do it for Jesus. It's that simple. What, what are you good at? Oh, I don't know what I'm good at, Pastor Jeff. Well, that's all right. Let's just, let, let's just start trying some things. What are you interested in? What do, you, what do you think you want to do? Well, I don't know what I want to do. Well, that's okay, too, because you've taken the first step. Of, I want to give him some of my time. Now I want to figure out what my talent is. What am I good at? Maybe you feel like what you're good at doesn't fit here. I promise you I'll find a place for it to fit. I'll find a place for it to fit. You, you say, well, I'm, I'm good at racing dirt bikes. Cool. I'll find a place for that to fit. I'm good at working. Cool. Whatever. Like your time, your talent, and, yes, your treasure. Your treasure, let's be honest, it takes money to make ministry work. When you go through the ministry of Jesus, he talked about money more than he talked about anything else. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you treasure? 
we are very fortunate to be a very blessed church to be as young as we are. I mean, to be as young as we are, we are blessed. We have six full-time staff members. We're fixing to buy a shopping center. We're blessed. God's taken care of us, and he's done above and, and, and exceeding what anything we could ever imagine. But it doesn't change the fact that it takes people who are willing to give their time, use their talent, and invest their treasure. Those are the three things that it takes. It takes investment. It does. It takes interaction. Like Pastor Jake said, ministry is people. But you will never cross the threshold of ministering to people if you don't know how to get with God first. Your interaction with Jesus is of the utmost importance. How much are you reading your Bible? You want to go to Sunday school? Let's go to Sunday school. How much are you reading your Bible? How much are you praying? How many of your conversations are centered around him and centered around what he's doing in your life and what he wants to do through you? You see, because most of us, we just kind of float through the week like it's no big deal. I'm just doing my thing. I'm checking off my to-do list. I'm accomplishing all my tasks, and I'm being a good little worker, being that I come to church on Sunday, and I just fully surrender to Jesus, but I haven't talked to him all week. I love you, Lord. You wouldn't know it, though, from Monday to Saturday because you interact with him. Because if you have trouble interacting with other people, look, let me, let me go ahead and, and talk as the chief introvert here. You think I like sitting on that stinking stool on this stage with that light blinding me? No. I don't like that at all. It, that's, that thing's uncomfortable. Secondly, though, for a long time, I've done ministry for 18 years. For a long time, I've struggled with interacting with people because I don't like people most of the time. It is, it is an intrinsic thing. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't know how I became an introvert, but I am. I like me. And I like my space, and I like, I like that. But, but it was only until I learned how to interact with Christ in an intimate way and get close to him that it started to open up some gifts and some abilities I didn't know I had. Because if I was doing this of my own strength and volition, this would be a hot mess. This would be a, hot, it'd be a church of one. It also requires, though, intentionality. Being serious about doing something with what we have. If you haven't realized this yet, you're in a church that is very intentional. Like, so intentional that everything we do Everything that has New Grace's name on it, anything that's involved with New Grace, goes through this filter. It goes through this process of, do people experience new life in Christ when this happens? Anything that comes across to this, do people experience new life in Christ? The intentionality is there. The intentionality on your part has to be there as well, though. It, it does, because, because when you're serious about doing something with what you have, you're willing to make that investment. And nine times out of ten, that investment's coming out of your heart. It's coming out of your soul because God spoke somewhere deep in the depths of your being, and he said, I want you to do this with that. And it's a big deal when you do that. We may not throw a ticker tape parade every time somebody signs up to do something, but it is a big deal when you sign up to go to a small group. It is a big deal when you join a team. It is a big deal when you attend a gathering here on Sundays or Sunday nights or whenever. We, it is a big deal. When you, when you look at this and you compare it to what's out there, it is a big deal that there are this many people here on a Sunday morning when it's 37 degrees outside and it's raining because a lot of other people had a bunch of excuses why they didn't need to come. It's a big deal because it's doing something with what you have. It's intentionality. You see, nothing kills the mission of Jesus, and it can't die with us. It can't die with us. You see... Working in the kingdom and working in ministry is understanding that the currency that you're working with is called legacy. Because you're supposed to leave something after you're not here. It's legacy. You're leaving something for your children, their children, his children, their children, those people's children. And it's something that doesn't die when you die. You see, it continues to go. That's why we're where we're at now here in, what year is it, 2021? It's a blur. Considering where it started in an upper room to where it's at now, the currency's legacy. We're carrying this baton. In Hebrews 12, Jesus is described as being the author and the finisher of our faith. He authored this in his body. My Bible tells me that he left heaven and came to earth. 
He was born a man. He was born in a manger. He, was, he, 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 he left the grandeur of sitting at the Father's side and came and lived as a man. And my Bible tells me that, that he lived as a man and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he took the sin of the world upon himself when they nailed him to that tree. And he started this in his body, and he's going to finish it in this body. That, that, that's what happens. That, that was the intention. I'm going to start this. You're going to finish this. That, that's what he's saying. You see, the mission came from Jesus, and he's done with his part. Now it's our part. He's already determined that the mission is our job. That's a dirty word in church, job. Job? I, I don't know about a job. No. When you got saved and joined the family of God, there was an expectation that was placed on you. There were some things that God said, you're going to do these things. These are the things I want you to do. You're not going to like doing all of them. You're not going to agree with all of it. Guess what? It's not a democracy. This is it. It's the expectation. So you start doing it. Now, here's the million-dollar question because a lot of people are going, how? How do I do that? How do I do that? And I dare say that most of you have probably been in churches where people say, you need to do this, 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 and nobody ever says, here's how you do that. So let me give you an action step. Let me give you something that you can do today. Check this out. How do I start doing the ministry? Well, okay, let's plug small groups again. Why don't you find a small group? How do I find a small group? Hmm. Right outside that door, everybody look. There's a place called Next Steps out there. And there'll be a person at a table, and they can take an iPad, and they can, they can help you find a group. Well, there aren't any groups in my area. Well, maybe that's God telling you you need to start one. What? Start a group? How would I do that? How do you do that? Once again, Go talk to the person in Next Steps. They can help you. You find a small group. Seriously, if there's not one in your area, go start one. It's not that hard. It really isn't. Like, we make all these things. Like, they're so off limits and they're so hard. It's really not that hard. You just got to have a heart for people. Be willing to open up your home, serve them, and then tune them into whatever it is your group does. It's that simple. You can join a team. A team? This church has teams? Sure does. You know how you can find out about a team? Go to Next Steps in the lobby. Hey, you can find our small groups and our teams on our website as well, newgrace.cc. Hey, maybe some of you have a supercomputer in your pocket right now. It's called an iPhone. Maybe some of you haven't, you know, got saved yet. You still got an Android, that's okay. You can download this app. It's called the Church Center app. And you can pick New Grace as your church, and you can find everything you want on that app. It's awesome. It's awesome. But you can join a team because when you join a team, you're getting plugged into what God's doing at your church. Because it's one thing to be in the canned food aisle of quality foods and say, well, that's my church. New Grace is my church. And God says, well, what exactly are you doing there? Like, attending's great. That's awesome. Check the box, man. You, you get a gold star for being there every week. What are you doing? To help build my kingdom. What are you doing to help my church grow? What are you doing to grow yourself? Take ownership of this place. Look, we're moving out of this place. But take ownership. What does that mean? How do I do that, Pastor Jeff? Find your purpose through ownership. When you walk through that parking lot, and there's a beer bottle from last night, don't walk past it. There's trash, there's 2011 million trash cans in here. Just pick it up. I mean, it's not like we're going to be like, oh, no, just, just throw it in the trash can. When you go into a bathroom here and there are paper towels falling out of the trash can into the floor, sack it up and throw it away. Fellas. <laughs> Fellas. When you go into that men's restroom, pay attention to what you're doing. If you make a mess, clean it up. 
I have been getting ready to come on stage to preach on Sundays and be in the bathroom. Like, I, God, I don't know who this is, but I hope you killed him dead. Yes. You grown man, dog. <laughs> Pay attention to your surroundings is what I'm saying. When you walk on this property, understand this is your property. Why? Because you are an heir with Christ. You are an heir with Christ. This place is your place. It don't just belong to the three of us. If it did, it'd be a hot mess. It's your place. It is your place. Because when you take ownership of this place and you take ownership of your place in God's family, that conveys a message to the world that they can't get anywhere else. That's what creates interest in lost people is when they see something that doesn't match what they see in the world. And we can't be so comfortable and so easygoing that we don't talk about these things and be honest about them. Just be honest. If we have more owners at New Grace, things change dramatically. If it's just the staff's job to own this place, then it'll only go to where the staff's potential and purpose can take it. But if every member of this church is an owner, there's no telling where it can go. It's investment. It's investment, it's intentionality, and it's interaction. It requires all three of those things. If you have any questions about being an owner or how you can get plugged in or you can join a small group, you can go to Next Steps. <laughs> but, hey, I'll go out on a limb here as the chief introvert. You can come find me, and I'll help you. It's kind of my job. Ministry. People. Serving people's ministry. So, Pastor Derek, how does the ministry happen? How does the mission happen? If the mission is people and the mission came from Jesus, the baton and the ball is in our court. So let's land this conversation with a so what. Because Paul does. He says, this ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, it has one sole aim. Notice what he said in the verse. To, and now I'm going to use some churchy words. Are y'all ready for some Christianese? Here it, here it is. <laughs> to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Now, Paul, that word right there in the Greek, testify, he doesn't use that lightly. He's not just throwing that word around like grandma's church does. He only actually uses that. Now, Luke wrote this. He's just telling you what Paul said. When Paul writes that word in the Greek, he only writes it four times. He only writes that word four times. And I wrote down the definition. The word testify means to cause something to be believed. To cause something to be... Now, when we hear the word testify, we think of them Sunday night singings over at Papa's church where Brother Fudd stands up and says, well, I want to thank the Lord tonight for saving me. That's what we think of that. Somebody standing up and talking. <laughs> Testify means to cause something or someone to be believed. I wrote this down. How do we do that? By representation through a living example and spoken account of that which has been experienced personally. My God, I'm going to say that again. How do I cause the world to believe that he is the God he says he is? By personal representation, through a living example and a spoken account of that which has been experienced personally. Every day we stand in a courtroom on trial by the world's observation. And the way we live our life and what comes out of our mouth causes the world to believe something about the God we say we represent. We are not testifying about something that we don't know. I need, I, I, need, I need to stop right there. Paul says, I'm testifying about the gospel. That's the good news of the grace of God. So I want you to understand something. If you're in this room and you used to be a sinner 
who was damned in your sin and going to hell and the Holy Ghost opened your eyes, brought conviction upon your heart, whether in a Sunday school room, in this room, behind a steering wheel, a jail cell, a detox center, or an altar somewhere, the moment the Spirit of God revealed to you that you had a need for Jesus and that you could not get to God apart from the cross and the resurrection, there was a moment in your life where you became so convinced and persuaded and Paul says that we've trusted. Everybody say trusted. Paul says we've trusted and today if you're in this room and you are trusting Christ to be the covenant maker and the peacemaker and the way maker and the life maker and the deliverer for your sin, I want to tell you something. You can testify about the grace of God in your life. You're not testifying about something you don't know. You've tasted, you've seen, you've felt, you heard, and you can live and speak what you know. I don't know from indirect experience. I don't know because Mamma told me. I don't know because the preacher said it. I don't know because someone posted it. I know because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Okay, we got stopped. Oh, we're ascending too fast. We're, we're ascending too fast. I said we were going to have a conversation. I got to pump my brakes. I wrote this down. Too many of us are testifying about something that detracts from the gospel of grace. Many of us got caught up in a season where our political agenda overshadowed the gospel. You're entitled to your opinion, and you better have one. Your opinion better be based on your values, and your values better be coming from a word. But if you got caught up promoting a side of a democracy when you are a citizen of a kingdom. The world looks through a lens of your profile and sees one dimension of your identity based on red or blue and they never see a bloody cross, an empty tomb, a risen savior, and a precious God. That was free. You're welcome. I wrote this down. Here's the deal. The world's already been polluted by enough religious toxins. They do not need to get mixed signals when they look at me and you. Most, re most people don't believe in God because of the people that say they know him. They are poor representations. I wrote this down. I wrote this down. Remembering that you're a representative of Christ will keep you from misrepresenting him. My wife and I, in our old neighborhood, our neighbors, they had 27 cats. They would end up on my porch. They would end up on my car. I'd, I'd, open the, I'd go in the garage late at night to feed the dog, and there'd be a cat in there eating the dog food, freaking out, scaring me to death. Y'all, Some of y'all remember me telling the story. They got a rooster. She brought home a rooster. That thing walked up and perched up on the fence. 5 a.m. every morning, Lance McCarty. That thing be out there moaning and screaming in the backyard. And man, I, I just, I was, like, I was like, I may be the only gospel they ever hear. I may be the only sermon they ever hear. I may be the only evidence and proof that there's a Jesus. So I can't be going out there and popping heads and pulling tails you know, writing, writing, uh, well, never mind, I can't say that. So we moved, not because of the roost. Well, I mean, maybe. We, we moved into this new neighborhood, new neighborhood, new area. This past summer, we moved, and, and, and there's, there's, no, there's no way anybody can build next to us just the way the place is. There's no way anybody can build across. And this sounds horrible coming from a preacher, but I'm just telling you, like, like, like you can't, like this neighborhood's, like you can't have a, a pit bull in this neighborhood. So I doubt very seriously someone's going to have a puma or a rooster. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, hey, th th me and Ashley get moved in the very first weekend. No lie. We get moved in the first weekend. It's 1 o'clock. It's just me and her. The kids aren't there. We lay down in the bed around 1.30, no lie, our heads hit that pillow. 
And all of a sudden, it sounded like someone lit up a mariachi band in our backyard. It was just coming from the backyard. And I said, what the heck is that? It was so loud. And I looked through the windows and I can't see nothing. It's like someone's done set up a DJ stand in my backyard. And they're out there just going to town. We rolled all night long. I turned every fan on we had, turned my sound machine, sweet melodies or whatever, playing waterfall music. Go out to the next morning, look in the backyard, I can't see nothing. Just trees. Well, when the leaves started falling, see, it's funny. A real estate agent never told me about what was on the other side of them trees. But when the leaves fell, you could see there was this big old house. And every, and every night on the weekends, man, they just out there blaring their music. I can, I can see as clear as day their house now. Now listen to me. There is a part of Derek England's flesh that wanted to go over there and tip some speakers and cut some wires. Are you hearing me? Like I wanted to go over there and take a stand on my need for sleep and rest. But the thing that kept my impulse from being spontaneous was God remind? it ain't got nothing to do with my face being on the website. It ain't got nothing to do with videos of me being on Facebook. God said, you represent me and every word that comes out of your mouth, if it detracts from my character, I'm gonna hold you accountable for being a bad representation of me. And I've been praying and that's it. And it don't play as loud and it don't play as much. And I just figured out if they're going to play it, then me and Ashley are going to have a party in the house too. I wrote this down. I'm done. Paul had this commitment to a life of testimony. I must live and speak the gospel. So if Paul had that commitment, why would it be any different for the church God used him to start? Why would it be any different for me and you? Why would it be any different? Because most professing believers are sitting in silence when it comes to their Christian testimony in a world that can't see God. If the mission was up to most people, it would stop. How does the mission happen? In a world of adversity, we have to live what we say. You're the touchable, tangible proof that God is who he says he is. You can't, you can't sit around and wait on the world to get easy for you to be a Christian. You got to be the church when there's a pandemic. You got to be church when there's riots in the streets. You got to be a church when church attendance over a trend of a decade is going downhill. You got to be the church when the next generation, three out of four of them, leave church at the age of 18. You got to be the. You got to be what we say we are. The mission cannot stop because the world's hard and difficult. Paul knew this. And so we have to be realistic. I love, I love what they both just said about the realities of adversity. We cannot call a time out and look for a lemonade stand as believers because it's hard out there. So I'm going to ask you these questions, and I'm going to let the Spirit of God give you an answer, and then we're going to come pray. Amidst the world of adversity, is there any testify in your testimony? Are you silent? Are you only the church at church? If attending, if attending was only the action required, that's all God would have ever asked of you. But you can attend a Mick Jagger concert. God's looking for action out of his people. How does God feel about your representation of him online? Nothing wrong with a lot of the stuff we post about our family and ourselves and our life, nothing wrong with that highlight reel of our, of our day. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to, is it worth it? You just had to say it. I just, I just, I just got to say it. Are you sure? Because let's be honest. In an average day, you're probably around 10 
to 20, depending on your job, people that know you and who you are and who you're supposed to be. But the moment you get online and post something, you just took that number of 10 or 20 and went to 500, 700, or 1,000. So every time someone sees that text and that font next to your name, it causes them to believe something about what you supposedly are. Are you a missionary whose testimony is subtracting from the mission? Well, yeah, you're all missionaries. You're the missionary to your home, your workplace, your neighborhood. Here's another question. Do your kids get mixed signals from the way you act and talk? Y'all were having a good time earlier. What happened? (laughs) Have any of your coworkers or maybe your peers at school picked up on the fact that you're supposed to be different because of Jesus? Here's another question. When was the last time you brought someone to New Grace? What does your church get from you? Or do you sit in silence? I'm not talking about worship. Here's the last question. What do you cause people to believe? When your example and your account match, it causes people to believe in Jesus. When you can live what you say and say what you live, it causes people to believe in Jesus. But when the way you live and what you say do not match, it hinders the mission that we started to reach people. The mission can't stop with you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do that today. I want you to go and live what you say. And if that requires you to change the way you present yourself online, then change it. If that requires you to start speaking up at work and inviting your friends that you care about to church, then start doing it. If that causes you to change the way you live your life on the weekends, then change the way you live your life on the weekends. But you are the only way that the mission happens, and it cannot stop with you. It cannot stop with me, and God forbid it stop with new grace. We are on a mission. We must complete the mission, and adversity in 2021, it cannot stop the mission. I need somebody to help me give God some praise if you know we've got to go. We've got to go and live what we say. Stand with me.